is your spiritual eyes and your ears open in these next few days. Well, I am blessed to welcome, and we are, he's a brother of mine, Matthew Smaller, who I've known Matthew since I came to the Denver area before he was Matthew and Rebecca, Noah and Hannah. I knew him when he was just Matthew. Yeah, and um, I've seen such a growth in him and over the years, he's, he's just got a passion for intercession and prayer. He's my Jewish brother, too. And he's part of our tikkun ministry, but he's also part of International House of Prayer. It's kind of this weird kind of symbiotic thing. It's not weird. It's kingdom. It's a kingdom thing between International House of Prayer and tikkun, and exciting things happen. So we welcome you. He's been here, you know. We've tried to work this out where he can share. And and uh, to be honest, I'm just tired of sharing to you guys. No, actually, I love to preach, man. So it's a sacrifice for me when I don't get to preach. But anyways, I just want to pray over Matthew. Father, I just thank you for my brother. And I pray over his family, Lord. And I pray that um, the things that you're doing and, and um, I just, just sense transition. And I don't know if that's... Sometimes people hate to get that word, but Lord, I, you are speaking to him about some things and there's some decisions that are to be made. And Lord, I just pray that you would show him clearly, Lord God. When one door is shut, you open another door. When one door is open, that door that behind is shut. So Father, I just commit Matthew to you. Lord, I pray your anointing upon him, Lord, as he shares with us. Lord, you have a word. Lord, you have a word for us from Matthew today in Yeshua's name. Amen. And by the way, we are going to take a love offering for, for Matthew at the end of the service. So be prepared for that, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Stu. Shabbat shalom. It's good to be back with you guys. I bring greetings from my wife, Rebecca, and my son and daughter, Hannah, or Noah and Hannah. <laughs> and uh, they are enjoying their cousins in Littleton right now. I'm grateful to have my father-in-law with me. Uh, Father, just do what you continue to do this morning, Lord. Confirm your word. To your servants, your bond servants, who are devoted to fearing you and loving you in this place. Lord, use this dust, use this testimony, this life that you've rescued from the mire, and do what you will. In Yeshua's name. I just want to share, if some of you don't know, um, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, to a <laughs> Chicago uh, a Reformed Jewish family, and I'm a, a millennial believer, and I'm a first-generation believer. And so um, I have a lot of passion for Yeshua, uh, as Stu mentioned, but it came at the, the high price of rejection by my entire family. And they weren't necessarily vitriolic, orthodox, like planning a mock funeral for me, like some of you have heard about folks in Israel and even in New York. But they were, uh, you're no longer a Jew. You've joined a cult. You're brainwashed. How could you do this? You're breaking the ancestral tradition of our whole family because you're claiming that he is the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. And so that was brought to me by an interesting source uh, as a 20-year-old young American college student uh, in Southern Illinois University. The farthest point south that I could get from Chicago was this school. And, uh, and I had just got cut from my college uh, baseball team, which was my dream, was to play baseball as a professional. <laughs> so, so I got cut. I didn't make the basketball team either. And, um, and it was there, you know, just like Jacob, 
that I found myself on my knees wrestling with this question, uh, actually a twofold question. God, do you really have a son? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Would you prove it to me? And these, uh, these were answered through my three African-American charismatic campus ministry roommates um, who were campus leaders, you know, for Chi Alpha and Alpha, uh, Assemblies of God campus ministry. And so they're my roommates. We're all meeting each other, you know, telling our story, where we're from. And they find out that I'm Jewish, and they spend three days sharing the gospel with me, like the road to Emmaus in reverse. They're bringing me back through the scriptures. I should be bringing them through the scriptures, through the Torah, through the prophets, and through the Psalms. And they are just provoking me, just like Romans 11, 11 says, to jealousy. I end up on my knees in this dorm lounge. I turn off the lights. I look both ways. You know, I'm this college boy looking for answers to life and thinking that my whole identity, my whole purpose in life was just crushed. And so the Lord, through a series of events, I start reading the Bible. I start uh, experiencing what we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says that there's a veil that remains. And I began to experience this veil being removed from my eyes. So I praise God for that experience, for the veil being removed. The the subsequent decision to confess Yeshua to my family brought that rejection. And I actually ended up denying the Lord. So parents, don't give up on children. Don't give up on prodigals. We prayed for prodigals earlier. I just want to say that I joined myself to this church, and they began to pray from the moment that I heard about my family rejecting me. They took me as a whole entire congregation as a prayer, adopted me as a prayer request, as an urgent prayer request. I didn't find this out until years later when I reunited with them in Kansas City for a uh, campus or a uh, uh, IHOP ministry conference at the end of the year. I saw them and they said, oh, brother, we've been praying. And I said, how did it happen? Well, what happened was about four months later, I left the faith. I left the Lord, put all of my Christian books in a box. I said, I'm done with Jesus and Christianity. And I went to a different school. I transferred schools at my parents' request. And then I found myself at my lowest of lows on uh, February 1st, 2004. And it was there the Lord called me back as his prodigal. And he said, you know, give your life back to me right now. I was watching athletes on Christian television on Super Bowl Sunday. um, And the Spirit of the Lord just came in my dorm room. And I knew it was his voice. And I responded. So since that time, there's been a, a, a measure, different measures of reconciliation with my family. And to this day, um, I'm grateful that we have passive indifference about Yeshua and we can get along and be in the room together, even with political and even with social drama in the culture, we're able to, um, to have favor, uh, as God says, with God and man. And, and we, we praise God for our relationship with my family. We continue to pray for their salvation. Um, one prayer request that we've always asked for uh, a specific strategic intercession on is my older brother, Todd, was actually born four years ahead of me without a left eye. And so not only do I pray for partial blindness to be healed, but I actually, I'm, I've experienced it my whole life. I've seen what partial blindness can do, not only to the human heart and my brother's response to the Lord, uh, but also what it could do to a family, what it could do to a community. And how the only people growing up that showed compassion to my brother, can you guess who it is? African-American charismatic believers. 
were the ones in my house growing up and showing him love and acceptance. So God has a plan. All right, that brings me to the season that I'm in. Uh, we're all in seasons of life. And I have been the last three months going deep in this book, Crucial Alliance. I did not write this book. Kalev Meyer did. Some of you know that name. Some of you don't, for the sake of those who don't. He is a lawyer, a Messianic Jew, and he is an advocate, a human rights advocate. Um, he goes to the Human Rights Council and argues for Palestinian and Jewish rights. And he's an amazing man. Um, but he wrote this book called Crucial Alliance. The reason I'm telling you about it is because God is, I feel, stirring this message up in America about African-American Jews and the Middle East conundrum. Okay, that's the subtitle of this book. And so whether you are interested or not, I just wanted to bring it to your attention that it's an incredible book. I've gleaned so much from the heritage of what the Jewish community has done in the last 60 years, even alongside of Martin Luther King. It's interesting with that congregation that we were a part of in the Reform congregation in Chicago growing up. It's called Beth Emmett Synagogue. That was one of the places where Martin Luther King, because it was called the Free Pulpit, because a Polish rabbi started it, and in 1950 he declared he was a Zionist. Well, the congregation split, so I grew up in Jewish schizophrenia. Um, and Martin Luther King felt hospitable to preach his little freedom, you know, justice message there, and they latched onto it. And so it's very interesting what God is saying. This is interwoven, I believe, under this whole season is that these are, this is a heritage in America that was planted. I learned through this book, and I had known it, but I really learned it from this book about the, he goes and interviews those from the Jewish side and the African-American side in America, those who were involved in the civil rights movement on the Jewish side and African-American side, and he explores how this alliance formed, how the NAACP formed, as well as these rabbis who came on the marches with him in Montgomery, Alabama, in Chicago, in these major metropolitan cities, took the, the bottles, took the stones, are you hearing this? and became living martyrs for the message and didn't even know Yeshua, didn't even know the hope of their calling. So how much more, I believe, is this a message for us and a message to be praying for that God gets a hold of us? Um, the word that I have for you guys is going to be brief because it's getting late, but it is, a, it is a word that I have been praying about. Actually, I took my notes, and it's so interesting to hear the confirmation this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, because I took this on July 7th, and I was praying over you guys, and I heard this phrase, is there not a cause? <laughs> From first, uh, first Samuel chapter 17, verse 29. And I have been in this story for about three months. I have been in David and Goliath for about three months. I've been just stuck there. And the phrase leads me to this um, to this interesting place for you guys, what I saw was I saw the Lord with his finger pushing the green button. And that green button had G-O on it. And so I think it's all interesting. It's very, it's very encouraging. It's very confirming. And, um, but what I want to say is it's, it's incredible to look at the, the heritage of those who've gone before us. And there's one in particular 
that said this phrase, and I want to I encourage you and inspire you to think about this this morning. But Jim Elliott, who sold him, himself and his family into the mission field to reach those from an unknown, uh, unreached tribe in Ecuador, he said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to say it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Going out in the midst of a pandemic and laying hands on the sick, sharing food with the poor, offering encouragement to the broken, you are no fool to do this if you gain what you cannot lose. If you gain what you cannot lose. Gave himself to it. In love, willingly pursued those from this tribe and we've seen the movie, it's called Beyond the Gates of Splendor, and he receives the spear from them in the pursuit of loving them and bringing them to the gospel. Do you know what happened? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He became a seed for his wife and his children. His wife and his children end up radically leading this entire tribe to the Lord. Do you know why? Because she chose out of her anger... And out of her frustration, just like uh, Hannah birthing Samuel, she chose to think better thoughts, not bitter thoughts. She chose to forgive. And she said that I will never hold this against you because that is not the foundation of the gospel. The gospel is love. I'm going to love and forgive you. Now, that's, that's pretty powerful when we're talking about loving our enemies. That, that became her enemy in her eye. That took her husband. They took her husband, and she chose to do that. You know, there's one more thing I want to share, and it's this message that we have been hearing the underlying tone today from our brother, from his dream, from our sister, from her word of exhortation, uh, and from the others with the bondservant. I mean, the worship, it's all speaking to me uh, in, an, in an affirmation way about this word, you guys. And I want to encourage you to write it down. It's called the call of the heart. No, it's not C-A-L-L. It's C-A-U-L. Have you ever heard of this? Some of you maybe have studied anatomy. This is the membrane which covers the upper part of the liver. Yotherath in Hebrew. And it's from Exodus chapter 29. This is the large flap, the fat which is usually mentioned as the set-aside portions for the burnt offering. It's in Leviticus 3, Leviticus 4, Leviticus 7, 8, and 9. It's all throughout, and it's, and it's dealing with the consecration of the priests, of Aaron and his sons and those who are called to minister. Before they do anything, Yeshua, what does he do? In Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4, what does he do? He, he demands that the pursuit of righteousness is through the waters of that Jordan. There's a consecration that precedes fruitfulness. In every part of our life, when we're going to the next level, when we're in transition, whether we know it or not, the Lord is calling for a consecration. He is calling us to give the excess the fat, the extra portion, the extra worship, the extra hour of our day. And he says, will you tarry with me? Will you wait with me? Who demonstrated this to us? Yeshua. 
He comes to the end of his line, of his earthly mission. He goes to his favorite garden, and he begins to sweat profusely in agonizing intercession like drops of blood. He's consecrating himself. Yes, he did it in the waters of the Jordan, but he did it for the waters of the Jordan for the sake of the wilderness. His whole life was a consecration up to that point. Because I believe he got a glimpse of the hope that was awaiting him. Do you have a glimpse of the hope awaiting you beyond COVID-19? Do you have a glimpse? Do I have a glimpse? Do our children have a glimpse? Do our grandchildren have a glimpse of the hope that's awaiting them beyond this season? Brothers and sisters, this is what David was meditating on, back to 1 Samuel 17, when he was able to go before Goliath, it's because he recounted the story of that lion, of that bear, of the trials in the wilderness, in the place of the mundane, the nothing place. Out of nothing, God creates beauty from our ashes. God creates ex nihilo. He says, let there be light. That's what the Greek says, I think. It, out of nothing. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And this is the place I believe God wants us to think creatively in this season. What is the cause? Is there not a cause? Is there a cause? And this is what my friend in Kansas City, Jonathan, sang a song once. And he placed this song upon the altar for the sake of the unborn. This was a song for the moral outcry. He said, where is the moral outcry? He chose to identify with the unborn by singing that song. And that song has grabbed the attention of all those in the, in the pro-life movement who've latched onto it because that's, that's what we need to inspire. We need to be reminded that there is a cause. We need to be reminded that there is a cause. So when David approaches the battle line, it's interesting. He's, he's sent by his father, you know, seemingly with these supplies, with food, with cheese, you know, with encouragement to bring back to his dad, Jesse. And David asks this question, is there not a cause? And this question reaches his governmental ruler. This question reaches someone that he shouldn't even have access to. But he was, he had chutzpah. He was bold enough, he was willing enough to say it because he remembered the private battles that he's been able to accomplish in the Lord. Do you remember the private battles? Those are worth remembering. What got you to this point in COVID-19 season is worth remembering. You know, we pray this prayer every Shabbat, and we pray it, you know, in our home. You know, thank you, Lord, for preserving us to reach this day. Do you remember what God has done to preserve you to reach this day? That's what the people at the Capitol need to hear about. You know, it's not what Stu and Matthew preach. It's what's in your heart. It's what God has done for you. He says in Matthew 18, I give you the keys. Wait, Yeshua, don't I have to ask you to do everything? Well, yeah, but I'm transferring this priesthood to you. Now you're the priesthood. And now those Pharisees and Sadducees who think they have authority over you, yeah, they could tell you to wash your hands this way. They could tell you to come into the temple that way. But you actually have the authority 
to do the impossible, and they don't. You have the authority to go in on the Shabbat and heal the sick. We talked about it today. And so David, out of his chutzpah, had authority because he remembered his private battles and spoke about them publicly. People are waiting. On the other side of your obedience is fruit. People are going to explain to others, wow, this lady told me the other day, this young man told me the other day that there's hope in this season because they said that God got them out of a similar trial that I'm in right now. Our words are inspired because we go and we share. That's the reason they're inspired, because he says, go. And then he inspires everything we do out of obedience, just like Stu said. So those words reach the ears of Saul. Let no one's heart fail because of Goliath, because of COVID. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I'm going to the battle line. I'm not qualified. We're not qualified, right? God anoints us. And he says, in my name, you can do these things. Cast out demons, heal the sick. Matthew, or Mark chapter 16, verse 15. That's the great commission where he starts putting emphasis on what we do. Not just going out and making disciples, but actually meeting the needs, the practical needs, the felt needs of people. And Lord, I just feel right now, Lord, I ask for a wave of healing on the web stream and in this room. Lord, I ask for a wave of healing. Lord, for those who feel tingling in their hands, those who feel a tingling in their heart and a sensation, a compulsion to step out, I pray that this day and this week would be a time of activation, a go for this family, your beautiful bride here in Yeshua's name. Just a few more minutes. You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since his youth. Here it is, verse 34, 1 Samuel 17. Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried them off, I went after them, snatched them, rescued them out of its mouth. If it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its fur, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed the lion and the bear, and so this uncircumcised Philistine will become like one of them since he has defied the ranks of the living God. Then David said, the Lord... Not David. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And he gets the, he gets the authority by Saul now to go. And the Lord be with you. Now here's the point. The point is that David, through his trials, had the call of his heart purified. That call, C-A-U-L, was meant to be burned. Do you know where? Outside of the camp. We've heard a lot this morning about corporate repentance, about the need to come before the Lord and ask him to forgive our sins, heal us, and send mercy to our land. But I believe the Lord is, if, if, if there's anything I'm, I'm sensing in this season, I'm submitting to you as a, a spiritual family to pray about, is that there are altars in our home. The Lord wants to send those fires, those embers to those altars, and the Lord wants outside of the camp, the Lord wants our home to be a place where those burnings can happen. Those burnings prepare us for the priesthood. They prepare us and consecrate us to actually stand before God. And Malachi says, you now teach righteousness to the people. 
In Isaiah chapter 26, 21, verse 6, excuse me, it says that we actually have this place of when the judgments of the Lord are in the land, the inhabitants of the world are learning righteousness. And we have that priesthood, brothers and sisters, to teach the unsaved, the lost in our, in our world about this righteousness. And they can see it in our lifestyle. They can hear it through the way that we honor authority, the way that we, don't, we choose not to complain, restrain our tongue. And they can hear it by the way that we share our testimony. You know, Revelation chapter 11 says that we overcome the evil one, the accuser of the brethren, by two things. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And the third thing is the hardest, but God doesn't revoke it from us. He still says, and we don't love our life even unto death. Even unto death. And that's, if I sense anything about this season for the, for the body to latch onto, it's that we don't want to go to the battle line forgetting what we've accomplished in the wilderness, in the private places of our recesses of our heart. Those things qualify us to face these type of things. And we need to get encouraged by that. You know, it says in Psalm 18, David encouraged himself, that same psalm that she read from, our sister read from, he encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he do that? I believe he sang those psalms, he remembered those trials, and he saw the faithful track record of the invisible hand of God working through his life. Do you see the invisible hand of God working through your life? Can you trace that track record? Can you see it in your spouse? Can you see it in your children? That is the place that God wants us to remember. Even as we're giving him the call of our heart, as we're laying that outer uh, portion, that fat, the excess, the extra sacrifice, he still wants us to be encouraged that he's done it before, he's doing it now, and he'll even do it again. He doesn't want us to forget that. This is a constant process of sanctification. So this is the season of activation, brothers and sisters. God is calling you to be activated. And like we've heard today, that will look different for each and every one of you. But I want to say that there is a grace. There is a grace for you to come to the living God and to receive fire cleansing. That's the best way I'll say it. And there's fire insurance and there's fire safety all at the same time with our God. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would release your grace on your bride here. Lord, each one of us, myself included, has excess from our heart that we need to surrender. Lord, I pray you would not only wash our feet, but Lord, that you would bring the fire that cleanses our path. I pray just right now, even on the web stream, just open your heart to the Lord and ask him to activate you from this altar of fire. From that altar in Gethsemane that the Lord was given the grace to go to the cross, to do the will of the Father. And it's from this altar of your sacrifice that God awaits the call of your heart.
Will you respond? Will you give him the call of your heart? Father, bless your sons, bless your daughters. Bless us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We draw near to you. You've already drawn near to us. Lord, I pray for external fruit or visible fruit in our lives this week that you have met with us, have sent fire to the call of our heart, and that you have activated us in a brand new season. I thank you for the elders, Stu and Millie, and all those here who are watching this transformation of your beautiful bride, this family. And I pray your grace upon them. Lord, increase that missionary spirit. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to take an offering for...